Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Strike three call over the outside corner with a slider knee high as Soto discusses it with home plate umpire DJ Rayburn. Mackenzie Gore strikes out the side of the bottom of the first inning. Kim Tatis and Soto. Here's the wind, and here it comes. Breaking ball, swing and a miss. Struck him out. And Mackenzie Gore has struck out the side in each of the first two innings. Six up and six strikeouts. Down go the Padres. The 0 1. Swing a ground ball to third. Fair past the lunging third baseman Machado down the line. That's going to clear the bases. Garcia scores. Candelario to the plate. Manessis rounding second. Soto having trouble picking it up. Will throw it in toward third as Manessis is back to the bag with a two-run double. It's now the Nationals eight and San Diego one. Five runs on the board here in the seventh inning. Hello and welcome to the Nats Chat Podcast. I'm Tim Shovers, hosting for the second straight day this morning. Jim Hickey saw Al Galdi warming up in the bullpen and felt he just didn't have it. Al will be back at it soon. Plenty of tea and honey on Sunday for those golden pipes. Over to the Diamond. The Nats won on Sunday 8-3 in San Diego to clinch the three-game series. Their first series victory since, get this, Memorial Day weekend in May in Kansas City. Yep, it's been a rough month for the franchise, but a good past few days. Let's put it this way. Josiah Gray started on Saturday, Mackenzie Gore on Sunday, and they went 2-0. Count the blessings when they come in a rebuild. Plus, Paulo Espino took the mound in the ninth. The secret weapon is back. More in his brief outing in a bit. We are joined now by Mark Zuckerman in Petco Park. Mark, what was the post-game clubhouse like afterwards? Could you feel just a little bit less tension in there after back-to-back wins? Uh, yeah, it was a much better vibe, Tim, than Friday night when they got blown out and really were in a bad place. What was it? 15 out of 18 that they had lost. And it's funny how two days and two wins can change the mood. And really, to me, it's not just about the fact that they won these games. But as we keep talking about all year long, it's not just the what they do, but who does it. And you have Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore collectively allowing what one run in two days. That means a lot in the bigger picture. And to me, this game ends up really being, I think, one of the highlights of the season 
to date because of what Mackenzie Gore did, because of who he did it against, <laughs> and the emotions that he showed in doing it. This was a big step, I think, for him. Now, he's not all the way there. This was not a perfect start by any stretch the imagination. The pitch count was really high. He knows he ultimately needs to be better at that. But facing his former team, he was able to channel his emotions in a much better way than he did last month when he faced them in DC. And he struck out Juan Soto three times, including for his final out of the game in a big spot in the fifth inning. And now Gore sets, trying to see if he could surprise anybody. Runner first goes, the pitch, swing and a miss, struck him out with a fastball up and away, and Soto chased one out of the zone. Strikeout number nine for Mackenzie Gore. That said a lot to me, and that is my biggest takeaway on a day when there was a lot of stuff to contemplate and a lot of good stuff and even some bad stuff that happened. That last strikeout of Soto, it really to me is really one of the big moments of the season to date. Yeah, and uh, for those who follow Nats trivia closely, file that away. The day that Mackenzie Gore and Juan Soto faced each other three times and Gore got the best of him. Pitching in a setting he's familiar with, as you mentioned, he made his first major league start in April of 2022 for the Padres in this ballpark. Five innings, one run allowed, five hits. High pitch count of 104, more on that in a little bit. Struck out nine and issued two walks. But get this, struck out the first six batters he saw. Mark, give me your sort of overall impressions of what you saw from the left-hander today. Well, the key was really right off the bat, the very first batter of the game. Now, go back a month ago, and he's facing the Padres in D.C., and he came out throwing 99 in the first inning. And that was not a good thing. It was too much emotion, too much adrenaline. He had a rough first inning. I think it was three runs allowed. He settled down after that and was okay. But Davey Martinez talked all weekend leading up to this about, hey, control those emotions. Don't try to overdo it. Channel that in a positive way. Throw good quality strikes. So the very first batter, Ha Sung Kim, he's facing, he's throwing 94, 95 and hitting corners with it. And he strikes him out. And immediately you're thinking, okay, this is a good sign. Actually, now I didn't know I did was going to be quite as good as it was, but it felt like a distinct difference between the previous start against the Padres. So you see him very much in control there, throwing strikes, pounding the fastball, not overdoing it, facing obviously some very good hitters along the way. And he gets through the second and you're like, okay, let's start looking up some records here. How's this compare? It is a franchise record, Expos and Nationals. Nobody had ever done all six to start a game. The last to do five was Tomo Oka, who was a national, but he did it as an expo. The most recent national to get to four was Joe Ross. So that you know tells you there just has not happened very often. The all-time record in Major League Baseball is nine by Pablo Lopez of the Marlins. So uh, McKenzie did not get there, but it went from six straight strikeouts to, well, wait a minute, he still hasn't given up a hit yet. Does he have something really special going on to then, yeah, giving up some hits, but really was in control throughout. And yeah, the pitch count was high and that was frustrating. There were a lot of long at bats, but boy, you can't argue with the results. And you just, you watch this and you say to yourself, this is a 24 year old who has stuff, who has poise. And when he puts it all together, can be really special. Now it's a matter of fine tuning all of that and getting to a point that he can now throw 104 pitches over seven innings instead of five. But it's hard not to be impressed with this, all things considered, and to see the growth from that start last month against the Padres to this one here on Sunday. Tomo Oka was 
on the Expos and Nationals in the inaugural 2005 season, traded in June. This is an impromptu trivia question. Do you know who he was traded for with Milwaukee? Oh, wow. Uh, Junior Spivey? Mark Zuckerman, way to go. Excellent job there. All right. Uh, good work. But you mentioned his pitch count, and we said 104, and it seems like it's consistently high after every start, even on the good ones, the bad ones, and the ones in between. Why is it so high, typically, and can he fix it? I think he can fix it, and I think we have to remind ourselves he's 24 and essentially has one year of big league experience at this point. Actually, not even a full year of big league experience. He's close to that now. So he's going to learn. He's going to get better. When you have stuff like that, you know, you're going to try to put away every hitter. You're looking for strikeouts. And that can be a good thing at times, but there's also times that you have to say, hey, let me just get the ball over the plate and try to induce some weak contact. So I think he'll get there. I think he's still learning really how to pitch. He's a stuff guy right now. A lot of great pitchers have started out this way. Max Scherzer was a lot like this early in his career and and took his lumps as well. It was several years before Max really figured it out. So I'm not too worried about that in the long run. Yes, you would like for it to be better. We see Josiah Gray with some similar issues for a guy who's not quite as much of a strikeout pitcher as Gore is. But, you know, how many times does he go 0-2 and then get to 3-2? Or he might even be behind in the count 3-1, and but he comes back and ends up striking a guy out. You know, that's great. The end result is great. But eventually, you throw enough pitches over the plate, the stuff is so good that he's going to get hitters out if he can get them to make weak contact on it. So I think he'll get there. I don't think anybody's overly concerned with it. You want him to be great right from the get-go. Most guys are not like that. You do have to learn how to pitch in the big leagues, and the hope would be that you know before too long, he gets there. The Nats broke this game open in the seventh as they scored five runs. This after a pair of runs gave him a 3-1 edge in the sixth. San Diego reliever Tim Hill gave up five runs while recording just four outs. For those from afar on the East Coast who wonder how a team with Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Xander Bogarts, and Manny Machado are under 500, is the simple answer, Mark, that they just don't have the pitching staff? Pitching is part of it, sure, but I think it's more than that because look at what they did offensively the last two days. You know, shut out by Josiah Gray and company, and in this one, they scored three runs, but most of that came, what, two of the three runs came late off the Nats bullpen. It reminds me in a lot of ways of the 2015 Nationals, who were a star-studded team, a team that had reached the playoffs but had not advanced past that. They went out, they got Max Scherzer, Bryce Harper is in MVP form, and they're going all in to try to win. And with that comes a lot of pressure, and it's not as easy as it sounds. You can have star players all you want on your team. But they have to play together as a team. The motivation has to be win at all costs. And it has to be not panicking every time you lose a game or two. So there is a lot of attention on this franchise, probably for the first time in a long time, if ever, in the Padres history that they've had this kind of expectation on them. And it's not always the easiest thing to deal with. And I think that's probably a little bit about what they're going through. The division is tough. The Dodgers, of course, are great, but the Diamondbacks have turned into a really good team. The Giants are playing extremely well. And there's a bullseye on the Padres that they haven't had before. They're selling out every day. I mean, there is this is a premier franchise right now in Major League Baseball. And it's disappointing in some ways, but I'm not going to say I'm shocked that they've struggled because I think a lot of franchises who haven't been in this position and players who haven't been in this position don't really know what this is like. 
And I know Juan Soto played on great teams with the Nationals, but he was the young guy going along for the ride at that point. Now, all of a sudden, he's the center of attention here, along with Machado and Tatis and Bogarts and everyone else. And it can be a tough spot to be in when there is that much pressure on you. These guys are human beings. They feel it. And I'm sure they're feeling it after losing two or three this weekend to a team that they probably did not expect to lose two out of three to. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. I'll be honest. I never heard of Bird Dogs until the ad sale came across my inbox. I was told they would send me something in the mail so I could personally endorse it. It has not yet arrived. However, multiple listeners have privately told me they love Bird Dogs pants and shorts. Bird dogs fit better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton, and I believe it based upon customer reviews. Go to birddogs.com pool and enter promo code pool, that's P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, they promise you. Another 3-2 pitch. The runners go, here it comes. Swing and a miss, he struck him out with a slider. Joe LaSorsa pumping his fist as he exits the field, striking out Sanchez with the bases loaded in the bottom of the sixth inning. What a moment for the rookie Joe LaSorsa in his fourth Major League appearance. Mason Thompson, a scoreless but rough outing, two-thirds of an inning with three walks in the sixth, before the best left-hander in the Nats bullpen, Joe LaSorsa, stepped up in a jam. Paulo Espino was unable to close the game out in the ninth, and Hunter Harvey had to come in for the final out in a five-run game, thus likely making him unavailable for Monday in Seattle. Two questions for you, Mark. One, give me your Paulo Espino impressions. Two, was Davey Martinez frustrated afterwards that in the end, he still had to use Harvey in the game? Well, as for Paolo, um, look, we all were happy to see him back out there, and you would have liked for that to go better than it did. But I don't care what the score is. You're facing hitters of that caliber. Uh, it's not the greatest matchup for a guy who doesn't throw that hard, as we know. So he struck out Tatis. You know, that was good. He gave up the RBI single to Soto. And to be honest, I thought Davey was being a little too overaggressive there or a little too panicky there. He brings in Hunter Harvey with his team up five runs, two outs in the ninth, the tying run isn't even on deck. The tying run is still in the dugout. So it's not even a safe situation at this point. 
I get it. Paolo Espino versus Manny Machado is not a great matchup. And if he gives up a bomb, the tenor of this game has changed a lot and the momentum is on the Padres side. But even so, you would still be up two runs with two outs in the ninth and nobody on base at that point. And as much as at times Davey has gone the other direction and not using guys because he wants to make sure they're still available the next day, I thought this was an overreach on his part to now probably make Hunter Harvey not available on Monday. Mason Thompson is surely not going to be available on Monday either. That was a little bit of a tricky situation too. Throws 25 pitches on Saturday. You bring him in to face the middle of the Padres lineup the following day. We know that even though he has flipped a switch here the last several weeks, we haven't really seen him do that back-to-back days. He did not look the same in this one. Three walks and got to a point that Davey had to pull him and bring in the lefty. Yes, bring in the lefty. They actually have one finally, Joe LaSorsa, although that wasn't even to face a lefty because the Padres countered with a right-handed pinch hitter in Gary Sanchez. Good on LaSorsa for getting a big strike out there. You saw some emotion from him getting out of that. But in the bigger sense here, I did not love the way Davey managed his bullpen in this game. And this is one that has ramifications beyond this particular game. He's going to be shorthanded on Monday. They got the win. That's important. But it felt like some of those moves were made, putting a little too much emphasis on trying to win this game and not thinking about what comes next. Offensively, Jamer Candelario donned the home run wig for the second straight day. Quick aside, this is for my DC nerds. Wig should be spelled W-H-I-G, considering we're a DC team. If you know, you know. Back to baseball. Three hits on the day for Candy. Mark, give me your halfway impression of Candelario's very inspired 2023 that just keeps getting better and better. I think he is exactly what they were hoping he was going to be. A gap-to-gap hitter. He's on pace for a ton of doubles. He has started to hit some home runs as well, which is nice. I think he's played a very solid third base for them. He's not a star player. He may end up as an all-star because the third base position is weak and he stacks up well against the competition there. But I think he has been just what you were hoping for from him. And it does create an interesting question now, as Al and I have talked about, what do you do a month from now? Do you try to see what you can get for him and, and trade him for the best offer? Or do you say, let's keep him around and maybe he's a guy worth trying to retain for another year or two as they wait for Brady House to develop? I think it's a fascinating question. I think it really just boils down to what kind of offers do you get? I think you can trade him if you get a real good offer, but you don't have to. You can try to resign him. He seems happy here. I don't think it's the end of the world to bring him back on a short-term deal and see if he can help you uh, bridge the gap until the kids are ready. I think it's been good. And I, I think Joey Manessis as well. What Joey is doing with runners in scoring position is just out of this world. 446 for the season with runners in scoring position. And this is even crazier against right-handers. With runners in scoring position, he is 27 for 50. That's a 540 batting average. That is insane. And talking to him after the game about this, he says he gets into those spots and he kind of takes some pressure off himself. He just focuses on being aggressive, getting a good pitch, and just hitting it. And he's not worried about the power. I know he's only hit two homers this year. That's disappointing. He's still disappointed by that. But he is understanding in those moments when there's a guy on second, a guy on third, just hit a line drive. It hopefully falls in. You drive in a run or two, and that's a huge contribution. I really like 
what he's turning into here as a hitter. Maybe it's not the total package that everybody dreamed he might be, but he is absolutely proving himself to be a good major league hitter and totally the guy you want at the plate in a big spot with runners in scoring position. There are not that many who can do what he is doing. Some might even say it's unsustainable, and maybe it is, but he's almost halfway through the season putting up those kind of numbers. That is a remarkable thing. June 25th last year, he went 0 for 1 with two walks while playing for Rochester against Syracuse. Lane Thomas, his afternoon, 1 for 4th RBI single. His OPS this season, 847. Not exactly 2015 Bryce Harper, but woe on that. Props to Lane. Standing next to him in center field was Derek Hill, 1 for 4 himself. Almost a week's worth of sample size for him for the recent call-up from Rochester. Mark, while we're here, though, in center field, can you update our listeners on the latest with Victor Robles and his rehab situation in West Palm? Yeah, he went down to West Palm Beach along with Carl Edwards Jr. to rehab down there while the team is on the road. Now, they were both supposed to be shut down for several days. I think there's some concern here with Robles. You're talking about a back injury and one that he thought he was over and then obviously a couple of plays after he came off the IL that didn't help matters has made it worse. And so I think there is a little bit of a a concern about what that might be. It's the lower back and the lumbar region. That's never a good thing. I think they're going to be really careful with him at this point and not push him to come back too soon the way they maybe did last time. We'll see. It could be a while. With Derek Hill in center field, I will say he, he can move out there. He tracked down one ball that off the bat looked like a sure gap shot double, and he made it look easy. He didn't even have to catch it on a, on a sprint. He was able to slow down and make the play. It doesn't seem like they're losing much defensively. Offensively, we'll have to see what the difference is. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation Summer Sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Have you ever heard of Larry June? Decent chance you haven't. But if you do know of this 32-year-old rapper that was born in San Francisco on April 8th, 1991, then game time is the place for you. Get tickets to his show on Tuesday, June 27th at the Fillmore in Silver Spring, right by the Metro. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. 
Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. The pitch. Swing and a drive hit well to right field. This is way back. This is going, going, and gone goodbye. Jamer Candelario does it again. Bang. Zoom. He goes here at the top of the first with two out. His 10th home run of the year. Duplicating what he did here last night. Boy, is he happy as he rounds third, saluting his dugout. It's the Nationals one and the Padres nothing. This is the last weekend of June. Uh, there will be the final day is June 30th on Friday when the Nats are in Philly. But for all intents and purposes, the final weekend of June. It's been a sneaky, tough time of the year on the baseball calendar because we're not quite halfway. We're close. They've played 77 games. Mark, for you know, a lot of our listeners have followed your career very closely for well over a decade. For you, is late June one of those? Would you agree one of those sneaky, tough times on the baseball calendar, or will you take this over some other parts in March and April, for example? <laughs> I, yeah, I think you know the All Star break is approaching, and that can be a motivation for a lot of people. Hey, let's just get to the break, and then you remember, no, we're not there yet. You got two weeks to go still for that. That can be tough. The weather gets warm, although it's been beautiful out here on the West Coast. Yeah, there are some dog days maybe this time of year. Certainly for the Nationals, this has not been a good month. I know the last two days have been fantastic, and that's helped a lot. But this is a tough stretch for them schedule-wise. We've discussed the schedule, the lack of off days, the makeup game, the travel out west, and everything that goes with it. Good on them for playing well, bouncing back from Friday night's loss and playing well these last two days. Now you go to Seattle against a team like the Padres with high expectations coming into the year that hasn't gone quite as well as they would have hoped. Perhaps there's a chance to do a little better the next few days against them before they then go to Philly. But yeah, you talk about, I remember Dusty Baker used to say, don't try to end the first half strong. Don't try to go into the break and say, okay, we can rest now, play through the break. He wanted them not to think about an end point being that last game. He wanted them firing on all cylinders going into the all-star break and then try to pick up where you left off when you come back from it. So I think this is a good and important stretch for the Nationals to not let things crater on them. The performances the last two nights suggest that maybe they can get this thing back on track a little bit. We'll see now how they do in Seattle over the next three days. Update from the College World Series. Dylan Cruz, potential overall number one pick in next month's MLB draft, won the Golden Spikes Award. Think of it as college baseball's Heisman Trophy. But his LSU Tigers got clobbered by Florida on Sunday, 24-4. to Yes, that's a real score. The national championship will be settled in winner-take-all fashion on Monday night. Mark, there is a fascinating subplot to this, which trickles up to, you know, Pittsburgh and D.C., which is Paul Skeens, the star pitcher for LSU. He'll be on three days rest on Monday. Again, this is it. This is the national championship game. The winner on Monday wins the national title. Can you remember... Any sort of subplot like this in, in Omaha that translates to MLB? And also, just give me your thoughts on this. Uh, we don't have this sort of thing too often, and it's kind of cool. It's very cool. It's been a fantastic World Series for anybody who watches it or cares about this stuff. And what you have is, and, and this is rare, probably the top three picks in the draft have been in this championship series. In Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens for LSU, and then Wyatt Langford for Florida. And... You know, you see this in basketball and football, maybe, where 
big name players are playing for national championships and you know, okay, hey, in a year, we're going to see them in the NFL or in the NBA. You just don't get this in baseball hardly ever. And so that's a very cool aspect of all this. Now, I'm sure it makes a lot of people who work for the Nationals and the Pirates, for that matter, sweat because God knows what could happen when you've got young 20, 21-year-olds doing everything they can to try to win a national championship, putting their bodies on the line and what that could mean for a draft that is, what, two weeks away now. It's coming up fast on them. I think, like I said the other night, I don't believe that the events of this weekend are going to change the team's evaluation of the different players in deciding who's number one, who's number two, who's number three. But any kind of health concern that arises from it certainly would play a factor in their draft boards. And so I think a lot of people in Major League Baseball are going to be holding their breath while watching Monday night's game. Anybody who's a baseball fan, I think, should just enjoy it for what it is. It's a great convergence of events that has led to this point. You hope it ends up being a fantastic championship game, and you just hope the stars rise to the occasion, but also nobody hurts themselves in any way that could jeopardize their professional careers. Well, it should be a fun Monday night in Omaha. That's going to do it for us here on this episode. All radio highlights are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the wonderful theme music. The show continues in Seattle on Monday night, three straight days before a much needed day off on Thursday. And let me tell you, that day off isn't just needed by the players in the organization. Trevor Williams against fellow righty Luis Castillo. For Mark, this is Tim Shover signing off for the Nat Chat Podcast. He unloads again, breaking ball, smoked to deep right center by Rutherford. Back goes Gentry, it's over his head, out into the fifth, it's, it's gone! Rutherford homers to right center field. His second home run is a Red Wing, and now it's 7-2. to two.